0: Hello, and welcome to this live recording from Mount Pleasant Baptist Church. This message was given by Graham Mabry at our Buragoon campus. So sit back, listen in, and enjoy what God's
1: got to say to you.
0: Amen, amen. Thank you again to the worship team. Thank you. Be seated. I want you to imagine you're in a lift in an elevator. And one of our grandsons loves lifts. Ride them all day if he could. But you get into a lift and there's someone in there with you. And, and as the lift doors close, they say, hello, and they call you by name. So you look at them, but stunned, to see whether you know them. And as you look at them, they catch your eye. And as you, as you turn your head, you say, do you know me? And as they look deeply into your eyes, the person says, oh, I know everything about you. I know all about you. Now, I don't care what button you pressed, the next time those lift doors open, you're getting out. Well, if you're like me, you're leaving. Now, part of the reason you're leaving is this person is bizarre and maybe they're having an episode. This could be, this might not even be safe. But part of the reason you're leaving is they might be right and they might know all about you. See, intimacy is scary. Intimacy, in, intimacy, intimacy is very hard to say. For words got more than two syllables. I tend to mispronounce it. Intimacy is a scary thing. And it's scary because it means taking down defences. You see, the more intimate I become with someone, the more they know me as I really am, warts and all. So the more vulnerable I am. I was walking through our building a couple of years back and uh, I saw a sticket note on a table. I got Peter Robins, who's doing sound for us tonight to take a photo of it for me because it kind of summarised this. The thing said, broken, do not use. I wonder how many of you have put that sticker on yourself. Broken, don't use. And maybe that's what I don't want the person in the lift to know about. In fact, even though our view of ourselves might be negative and wrong, it's familiar, so we cling to it. If you do any sort of psychological work, you will do a study of the fear of intimacy. Now, that's on a human level, and tonight we're taking it another level. Intimacy with God. Intimacy with God. God is immortal, radiantly pure. We just were singing... He breathes and a billion creatures come to life. Galaxies are born. He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He knows everything. I am very mortal, broken, do not use. Do you remember Simon when he introduced this topic of friendship with God? Spoke about the fact that we can sometimes scoop up all our negative views of us and project them onto God. I wonder how many believe God has put that sticker on you, broken, do not use. I often imagine he's done that with me. I mean, I hear and read and sing of God's mercy and forgiveness and grace, and I just want to go to him. But then I think of my, my brokenness and his radiant purity, and it's kind of like, oh, Lord, I want you close, just not too close. I want you close, but not too close. Well, by way of contrast, a true story of a priest, a Catholic priest visiting Ireland. Beautiful long twilights at that time of year. He went for a walk to enjoy the twilight, met an old gentleman who walked with him and they chatted, very pleasant chat. And then it suddenly started to rain. So they dived into a little covey to get out of the water, out of the rain, of course. And the old man went further in than the priest. And since it wasn't, they couldn't talk, he took out his little prayer book and just started praying half aloud. And the priest watched for a long time. And then just quietly said to the old man, you must be very close to God. The old man smiled deeply and said, oh yes, he's very fond of me. He's very fond of me. See, Simon said we're on a journey on this friendship series. In week one, he said it was a journey from God loves me because he loves everybody, but does he like me? From God loves me to God likes me. Tonight, it's a journey from I want you close, but not too close to, oh no, the father's very fond of me. I'm one of his favourites. Here's a definition of God from a theological dictionary. God is the only supreme, infinite, eternally self-aware being who has neither beginning nor end, who is non-contingent, transcendent and immutable. His attributes include holiness, omniscience, omnisapience, all wisdom, omnipotence, all power, omnipresence, present everywhere, that's from a dictionary of theology. It's, it's the at, some of the attributes of God, the beginning of a definition of God, and every word of it is true. Now, in one of his best-loved psalms, one of Nick Scott's favourites, actually, Psalm 139, David covers every attribute of God that's in that definition. In fact, it's our reading tonight, and Jasmine Stone's going to read it for us, and as she does... I want you to think of how I read the definition of God that's in the dictionary and, and how this psalm sounds as Jasmine reads it to us. Thanks, Jasmine.
1: You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not, not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created me in my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth Your eyes saw my unformed body All the days ordained for me were written in your book Before one of them came to be How precious to me are your thoughts, God How vast is the sum of them Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand When I awake, I am still with you Search me, God, and know my heart Test me and know my anxious thoughts See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting.
0: Great, thank you, Jasmine. I'm with Nick's one of my favourite psalms too, love that psalm. And it couldn't be more different from the definition, could it? Now, you might be thinking, well, fair go, Graham, one is a definition and this is a song. And don't forget, all psalms are songs. They're meant to be sung. It's great that we read them and study them, but they were sung. This is one of David's songs, And so, therefore, it's structured differently. It uses songwriters' techniques. The Hebrews had a thing called merisms, and that was if they wanted to convey everything, they would take two opposites and say it's this and it's that and it's everything in between. So you see in the psalm, when I sit and when I rise up there in verse 2, my going out and my lying down, uh, the heavens and the depths, if I go to the dawn, that's the east, to the far side of the sea, that's the Mediterranean Sea, that's the west. So it's a song that encompasses, but it's not just a song. It's a love song. It's one of the most intensely personal and intimate passages in the whole Bible. I and you is the theme of the whole thing. It's even more obvious in the way the Hebrew is constructed. We won't go into it tonight, but take my word for it. It's all about you and me, God. David is singing to God, not to us. You've searched me, Lord you know me. It's just all but David is totally focused on the Father, on God. It's the song of a shepherd boy who came to know the Lord was his shepherd. It's the language of deep relationship. He doesn't sing, oh God, you know all things. He does in other Psalms. But here he says, God, you know me. You've searched me, Lord. And that that searching there means absolutely thorough searching. It's used of mining. You've drilled down into me, God, right down deep into me. It's used of examinations. You've examined me deeply. You know my thoughts before I do. That's scary. I have some really bad thoughts. Maybe you never do, but I have thoughts. I think, where did that come from? God knows those thoughts before I do. God is in the lift with David saying, I know you. So why isn't David running for one of the Judean hills? Let me tell you a quick story. I haven't got time to go into the detail of the story, but the principle is why I want to share it with you. David had many, many broken do not use moments in his journey. It wasn't unblemished winds for David. And on one occasion, he ignored godly advice from his commander-in-chief and his other commanders. And when he realized the mistake he'd made, he was conscience-stricken. And uh, Dan mentioned that when we, make, when we blow it like that, what, what some weeks back when he was talking to us, Dan said, we, we tend to hide from God then. So it's almost like, oh, I've made a mess. Right, I'll give God a miss for a while and let it cool down for a bit. And then I'll come back. Well, David doesn't do that. In fact, Nick reminded us this morning that that idea of hiding goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Adam said, I was frightened and I hid. But David doesn't. He goes straight to God. He says this, Lord, I have sinned greatly in what I've done. Now, Lord, I beg you, take away the guilt of your servant. I've done a very foolish thing. And God sends a prophet and gives him three choices doesn't matter what the choices are. What matters is how David responds. God says, well, here's three choices, David. And here's how this shepherd king responds. Oh, Lord, I'm in deep distress. But let us fall into the hands of the Lord, for his mercy is great. Don't let me fall into human hands. This is amazing. Before the cross, David is praying what Jesus prayed on the cross. God, I abandon myself to you. Now, this is not a, oh, thy will be done, que Sarah Sarah, what can I do about it anyway, prayer. Oh, David is saying, do with me whatever you want, Lord. And those who study prayer deeply tell us, and this, re- this encourages me, that whenever any of us think of that sort of prayer, God, I abandon myself to you, there's a deep fear in us. If we're going to pray it sincerely, This idea of intimacy, we don't just skip into lightly. So how can David do this? How can this young ex-shepherd boy, songwriter, prophet, king, spectacular sinner on occasion, how can he go, Father, I would rather abandon myself into your hands? Well, you get a hint from the verbs in this psalm. There's four verbs in the psalm that, uh, that, that, that are used. Uh, the, there 's the verb "bin to perceive zahra, which means to discern Ikan uh, you are familiar with me, but by far the most common is yada to know it 's used seven times you yada know me and my comings and goings you yada know what i 'm going to say before I say it. How well you yada me is so deep, I can't comprehend it. It's beyond my human comprehension. And it's used twice in the prayer that ends this song. And we've told you on more than one occasion this word yada is the same word as Genesis 4 1. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. In fact, I remember on one Sunday Nick saying, It's the sort of knowing that gets you pregnant, it's that sort of intimacy. See, God's gift of sexuality was given within the covenant relationship of marriage so that the closest possible physical intimacy, life-giving intimacy, is expressing an emotional and spiritual growing nakedness. It's a beautiful expression of safe vulnerability and deep intimacy. And that's why the enemy works so hard with pornography to split relationship and 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 pleasure and to objectify i don't have time to go into it tonight but i urge you to have a listen to nick's message this morning on the podcast when it comes up because i think there's something significant for us in it god wanted us to learn as humans what it is to be able to be one with another human being and be safe with them but you're never as safe with any human being as you are with your father you can never be as safe with any human being as you can with the sun. You know how you, you meet people and often in, in various settings when I'm representing our church and community and other settings, someone will come up and say, ah, Pastor Maybury," which is a very, it's often culturally very appropriate and it's always respectful, it's meant to convey respect. Almost invariably I will say, oh look, call me Graham, Graham's fine. Well, what about God? see, God is the name we chose for him, isn't it? I'd like to introduce you to God. And if God responded, oh, no, no, call me, what would he choose? Well, we know, the Bible tells us. What name did God ask us to give him? By the spirit you received, we cry, Abba, Abba, Father. Father. You know the word Abba is a baby word. It's it's like daddy, dada. That's what God says. No, 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 don't call me God, call me Abba. My friend Rob Coleman was in Israel, in Jerusalem. And he had a long, he said a very long, quiet day on the Sabbath. And then next morning, after the Sabbath... As he woke up, he could hear this noise and, and laughter, and someone was obviously having a ball. But he kept hearing, because obviously they were, they were speaking, Hebrew, Hebrew and, and, but every so often he'd hear, Abba! And then he was hearing this, Abba! 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 And he looked at the door, and, at the window, and it was a little family, two or three little families, sorry, playing a soccer game. And one little boy of about four or five was on the same team as his daddy and wanting his dad to kick the ball to him. So he's going, Abba, Abba, Abba. (laughs) Give me that ball, stupid. (laughs) God says, call me Abba. Well, how does, and so when God says, I'm going to search you, do we need to be scared? Well, how does a loving dad search his children? You might've had a loving dad like I did. You might not. But how does a loving dad search his kids? Well, have a look at this. The Bible says, The Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit intercedes for us with sighs and groanings too deep for words. The Spirit prays for you at a level humans can't express. And he who searches our hearts, ah, searches our hearts, knows the mind of the spirit and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him. So he's searching to heal. He's searching you to bless. He's searching to expose the lie that's robbing me of my joy and my life and my fullness. A loving dad searches his kid's heart so that he can help I still do it with my boys. who are in their mid-40s. But I still think, Lord, oh, how, can I, how can I support? How can... And I'm just a human, Dad. What about words? I wonder how long it'll be before you next go, bleh and think, oh, wish I hadn't said that. Wish I could reel that back in. Or where did that come from? I know for me it won't be long, <laughs> sadly. The interesting thing is God already knows when I'm next going to do that. I'll be shocked, but he won't. The psalm says, before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. Quickly, let me take you to the Last Supper. Simon mentioned this. Peter is absolutely sincere. He says, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death, Lord. If all fall away, I never will. He has no idea that before dawn, not only will he deny his Lord three times... (laughs) But he will call down curses and swear. No idea that's about to come out. Jesus knew all of them are about to desert him. Judas about to betray him. He knew that once again, at the end of his earthly ministry, they'd been arguing about who was the greatest. So the meal is in progress and nobody's washed anybody's feet. Because the person who washes feet says, I am the servant of all. And you all know that Jesus gets up and washes their feet. The feet of these people who have broken do not use across their foreheads, if anybody ever did. Is he just washing their feet as a brilliant object lesson? It is that, but it's so much more than that. Why does he wash their feet? Well, John tells us the bottom line, the ultimate reason why, having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the uttermost. And that love, of course, is agapao, agape, God's selfless, constant love. And every one of those disciples knew two things. Once all had been revealed, and Jesus was resurrected as they thought back, to what they were doing at that time, they would have said, you know, two things, God is not impressed with my CV. So there's no point in me trying to brush it up for him. And God is not going to reject me or condemn me for my sin. Jesus, when he met Peter, Peter was called Simon. That word means a reed. And then he says, Simon, you were, but Peter, the rock you will be. But in the upper room when he's telling Simon he's going to deny him he calls him Simon again he still speaks the truth in love to us he says Simon read not not a rock yet you're going to deny me but then he says this I have prayed for you and when you have turned back to me you're coming home Peter strengthen your brothers you think oh that's okay Jesus prayed for Peter well the Holy Spirit is praying for you when you have turned back, I'm remember, remember the prodigal when Jesus was telling the story and he's in the pig pen and Jesus says, in the pig pen, when he came to his senses, he said, I'll go back to my father. The father was waiting to welcome him. In fact, in this psalm, one of the phrases that jumped out at me as I was preparing was that little phrase, when I wake up, you are still with me. You might feel like you've wandered a long way and been asleep a long time, but let, the, let me say to you, he is still with you. You might think, uh-uh, not me. I prayed with someone this morning, had the privilege, or Mel and I had the privilege, sorry, of praying with someone. And I said to them after we'd prayed, gosh, you must almost feel like God's forgotten your address. And some of you sitting here tonight might be thinking, Graham, God's forgotten me. You know, maybe maybe those in the upper room and all that, but God's lost my address. You might have those words of Isaiah in your heart. I've labored in vain. I've spent my my energies for nothing. I've, I've spent my strength for nothing at all. The Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. How does God respond when my heart says, God, you have forgotten. Clearly, you've lost my address. How does God respond? Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she bore? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. In the Song of Solomon, that wonderful book about sexual love in the Bible, the girl says to the man with whom she's in love, make me a seal on your arm. And the ancient rabbis used to teach that Israel once said to God, make us, the people of Israel, a seal on your arm. And in this teaching, God responds, no, I won't put you on my arm because sometimes I can't see that. I'll carve you on my palms. And Isaiah the prophet says that. I've carved you on the palms of my hands. You're always." Before me And when Jesus raised from the dead and came back to his disciples, John 20:20 20, 20 tells us he showed them His hands. He showed them his hands. Jesus is saying to them, "I knew what friendship with you was going to cost. This is how much I want to be your friend. Just sit with that for a moment. You were formed in the heart of God long before you were formed in your mother's womb. The idea of a mindless biological process popping out cookie cutter type humanoids is not only in the Bible, it's an insult to the Bible. Nothing could be further. There are no accidents. When David says in his song, your eyes saw my unformed body, he uses a word that only occurs here in the whole Bible, golem. Find it in the Lord of the Rings too, but that's different. You you saw my unformed body. And what it is, is this idea of my light form. It's the, the, the rabbis used to say it's like the unformed dust from which God made Adam. And think of the creation of Adam and Eve. He forms them by hand. And then Adam first and breathes life. And then from Adam he forms Eve and breathes life into her. Intimate. It's not a, a machine punching out product. David uses that beautiful word knitted. You knit me together in my mother's womb. When we, when we moved from our former home after 33 years we went through that painful process of what do we keep and what do we get rid of. Came home one day and Mel said, come in here. And on the bed was a whole collection of baby clothes from when the twins were born and when they were very tiny. And they're in their mid-40s and for goodness sake, we still have it. Why? Because they're our kids. Same as God has you right there. But I found it interesting. In the end, we took a photo and then blessed other people with it because I was still in really good condition. But I, I found something interesting. Almost everything on that bed had been made by hand by somebody. And they loved us and they loved our boys and they put love into every stitch of making that. And God put his love into every stitch of knitting you together. And if you've ever been told you were an accident, it's a blasphemous lie. God says, I knew you before you were conceived, Jeremiah 1. You might think, incidentally, when it says you knitted me together when I was woven together, the actual meaning of the Hebrew there is like this intricate garment of many colours. Beautiful, like you know, Joseph's coat of many colours. And maybe you're not thinking God's lost your address. Maybe you're sitting here tonight thinking, ah, oh, this friendship with God, I'm not many colours, I'm beige. I am so beige, I bore myself. I don't have any great gifts. I don't have any leverage. I don't have any influence. I'm not interesting. I fell asleep when I was speaking once myself. When Samuel came, here's an interesting thing. Samuel comes to anoint the next king. Guess what? The guy who wrote this psalm didn't even get in the lineup. He was the littlest brother. He's the runt. He was out looking after the sheep, the dog's job. And Samuel says, have you got any others? Oh, yeah, there's a little kid that's out with the sheep. And I love what Samuel says. Samuel says, get him. We will not sit down until he arrives. Do you know what God says about you? I'm not calling time until you're in heaven. I will not sit down to the marriage supper of the lamb until you come. I stand at the door and knock. I want to sup with you. Heaven is not complete without you. See, in biblical times, the poorest, the most vulnerable, the bottom of the pile were widows and children, especially orphans. How did God think about widows and orphans? From Remember, Simon said, you've got to start from God's perspective, not ours. Well, from God's perspective, what are those nobodies like? How does God see widows and orphans? Look at this. He's a father to the fatherless. He's the defender of widows. He sets the lonely in families. With my journey, one of my favourite verses. No matter how insignificant I feel, God says what David says... I am intimately acquainted with all your ways. And finally, there may be people tonight going, no, not the likes of me, (sht) not me. God wouldn't want to be hanging around somebody like me. You don't know about me. You don't know what websites I visit. You don't know what compulsions I have. You don't know what nasty thing. You don't know what's tucked away in my past. Not the likes of me. If he knows all my ways, that's just the problem. Most of my ways have been disastrous. Did he knit me together? Well, let me tell you, there's a few rips in the knitting. Consider a criminal. He's a convicted criminal. In his own words, he's getting what he deserves. The punishment is just. just. He's never walked with Jesus. He's never done anything worthy or spiritual. But he discovers that every bad decision in his shipwrecked life served only to put him alongside God. Alongside God when God was dying on a cross. Out of his agony, that thief on the cross, out of his chaos says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And as most of you tonight would know, Jesus says, today you will be with me. In paradise. What do I want? I want you with me. Friendship, intimacy. Brennan Manning says, My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. When Mick mentioned Zac- the vertically challenged Zacchaeus last week, I thought, that's interesting. I've already I already believe God wanted me to very briefly mention him tonight. Time's gone, so I'm going to keep this as tightly condensed as I can. But you remember Simon's point about human perspective, God's perspective? Human perspective, chief tax collector, despised collaborator, rich at the expense of his countrymen, scum. God's perspective? Hey, Zacchaeus, I have to dine at your house. Now, our modern ears don't get what that means. Some of our Asian and Eurasian folks have a a better understanding because in in Jesus' day, to say I'm going to dine with you meant forgiveness, freedom, friendship. It meant I accept you. It meant I will come into the sanctuary of your home and share life, the good life, l'chaim. We will celebrate God's amazing gift of friendship, which is why the Bible says, I stand at the door and knock. I want to come in and eat with you and dine with you and journey with you and be your friend. And when Zacchaeus stands up and makes this amazing statement that he's going to give away half of everything and if he's taken anything from anyone, he'll give back four times, which was the maximum penalty under the law, is staggering. Agape love is flowing out of him because agape love has already flowed into him from Jesus. It's flowed into him and it's transformed him. He hasn't got a theological concept of the kingdom of God. Jesus is my friend and I am transformed. I have experienced that love as a reality, an experienced reality. Now giving away what I used to jealously guard. Do you know what Zacchaeus is saying? Lord, I abandon myself to you. I no longer cling to money. That doesn't happen any quicker for us than it did for David. What time are we making to soak up that agape? To discover in our deepest being he really is a bar. It's the primary word he gave us, but it takes time for it to drop down into our heart to where the birds of of trouble can't pluck it away, or where the thorns of worry and stress and the deceitfulness of, of riches can't choke it. It takes time to go deep. Father Edward Farrell wrote a book called The Father Is Very Fond of Me, and he calls this an underground nuclear explosion. It happens deep within us and we know the Father and experience the freedom of the children of God which casts out all fear driven by perfect love. As experienced reality, we have this adventurously expectant greeting God with what's next, Papa. God's Spirit tells us, he's your father, you're his child. See, David wasn't in the digital age. wasn't just on. David spent Years with the sheep. Do you know he's anointed king over Israel? Samuel leaves. Do you know what he's got? An oily head. Do you know where he is next day? Back out with the sheep. Back out with the sheep with an oily head. And for years more, he's just following. Ba, ba, ba. Who are you? What's the oil, David? Oh, I'm anointed king of Israel. Yes, yeah, sure you are. And I'm the sugar plum fairy. Good. Ba, ba why has God got him following sheep same reason as Moses so it drops down into our spirit let me finish with this incidentally this psalm came from all those years of preparation if God if someone's given you a word God's going to mightily use you and you feel like you're following sheep he's mightily using you he's forming in you what he will later use he's not digital he's not digital I had decided how I thought the Lord wanted me to finish before last Sunday night and then Mick said exactly the same thing. So I have to think, this is the Lord and I wrap it up with this. David begins his song, Lord, you have searched me. And he clearly does it. He's totally comfortable to say, God, search me. And he finishes his song with one of the greatest prayers in scripture. He says, Lord, you have searched me. Because of the years that I've spent with you, I know you're my great shepherd. I know you're my shield. I know you're my rock. I know you're my fortress. I know you're my joy. I know you're my strength. So please keep on searching me. Search me, God. And Nick, I thought, expressed this really well this morning. He said, why not invite the Lord to do a full scan, like a medical scan, only a full spiritual scan. And where he sees it necessary, some invasive spiritual surgery. Let's pray together. I wanted to say this to you while you're in an attitude of prayer. What, what Mick said last week was identical to what was in my heart. And that is, I think the Lord is calling us to commit ourselves to put our social media, our phones, and our television watching... our our 101 jobs that really could be done another time. And this is the hardest thing in the world to do, I know from personal experience. But to find a time every day, whatever that time can be, different for different people. If you've got little children and so on, that's a whole different ball of wax. When you sit with just the Bible and the Lord and say, Search me, God. I have no agenda for this time. I have no structure for it. I have your word. I have you. And I'm going to sit with you. I want to know your Abba. Search me, God. See if there's any wicked way. Lead me. And I promise on the authority of Scripture, if you make Time for God he turns up because he longs for us the angels don't understand why but he does Father we want to know you as Abba Lord Jesus we want to know you as friend as you have called us friend Holy Spirit please now speak to your people